Thank you again. This has just been delightful and have enjoyed conversations with many of you and appreciate so much all the hard work that has gone into this conference. Um, you know, a lot of times people that organize it and run it do not get recognized. So for the entire team, I won't even, I don't know who you are, but I've watched you in the kitchen, I've watched you here, I've watched you in the music ministry, and it has just been delightful. So let's give everyone a hand for doing a wonderful job. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Ashley, for inviting me and for putting all of this together. That lunch was right up my alley. I love it, love it. And just, you could be a lot of places today, ladies, but, and it's beautiful outside. And it's a little bit warmer, but you chose to come here today and to enjoy being with each other and enjoy hearing the words. So thank you for giving of your Saturday to do that. <clears throat> Disagreements among the brethren are nothing new. This is our third session. Have your handouts ready. We see these throughout scripture, and we want to focus on a specific situation today in our lesson. I could tell you lots of examples from church history. I could tell you lots of examples from 31 years of ministry at North Shore and even prior to that at other churches. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know there are disagreements. They run the gamut from petty to serious. And I really do hope that the way we live our life from now on is not lived in the context of and does not revolve around the difficulties we've had over the last few years that really have changed us in so many ways. However, these years have been especially difficult and they brought many sources of tension and strife, and I don't mean just in society, but in the churches. Not only have medical, political, racial issues all been played out in media outlets and they've had polarizing effects, these issues have also played out in our churches in sometimes very polarizing, hateful, and unhelpful ways. And even if our disagreements with other brothers and sisters have not been about these particular issues over the last few years, we just seem to be more on edge and more emboldened than ever to speak out and to give our opinions and disagree with fellow believers more than ever before. I think that it has done a lot of damage to the church and to us as individual Christians. So today, as we study the quarrel between two women in the book of Philippians, they are Yodia and Syntyche from way back in Philippi. Remember, the issue has always been around. It's nothing new. COVID didn't introduce disunity in the church. We have disunity in the church because churches are full of sinners. And this goes way back, even before the church in Philippi. But remember, in our lifetimes, we are seeing something, I believe, unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, where we feel great liberty to disagree with each other. So I want you to open your ears and your heart with a disposition toward searching your heart and responding to the Holy Spirit. Whether it's in the first century or the 21st century, this is a timely word for us because the body of Christ is precious to God and the unity of that body is 
of utmost importance. We need God to help us. So let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for these ladies. Again, their sacrifice to be here today. May we be very attentive this afternoon to this lesson, to an important lesson as we see the great importance of unity in the body and how you love that and desire for us to have that. I pray that you would help us to be ladies that promote peace and unity. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> turn to Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 right now. We will go through this passage throughout the lesson. Philippians 4, and I'll start with verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. On your handout, you'll see the first point is the background and the context. Let's look at these women. If you know about these two ladies already, and you're thinking that you're going to learn many new things in Scripture about them today, you're going to be disappointed because <laughs> this is it. If you know nothing about the two women, you're going to learn everything there is to know quickly because this is the only time they're mentioned in Scripture in this verse. But thankfully, the Word of God is more than just a history book. It is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that Christians may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there is much we can ultimately learn from Yodia and Syntyche, although there's not much we can learn about them. That's it. Verses 2 and 3, that's all that's there. If we just reviewed the facts, and I expounded on them for a little bit longer, and looked at it at face value, we would be out of here very quickly. But that's the beauty of Scripture, isn't it? Digging into it, the setting, the background, the context. I want us to dig in, and I want us to see how we are to be and not to be like these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. Now, what are these ladies doing? What do we know about them? Well, obviously, they're at odds. They don't seem to like each other very much at this point, but as Christians, they were to love each other, and that can be a tough thing to do, loving people that you don't particularly like. What about their church? The church at Philippi. Some simple yet important questions I would ask you. What book are we in? Philippians. Who wrote it? Paul wrote it. To whom did he write? Church at Philippi. And from where did he write it? In jail. He was in prison. Exactly. Excellent answers, ladies. You were right on. Acts 16 gives us the account of Paul on his second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy, and they stopped at Philippi. And if you remember what happened, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just start reading in Acts 16 and verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. 
The Lord, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, if Lydia was the first European convert, the church at Philippi was the first church in Europe. What was Paul's role in this church? Well, he had a vested interest in them. Look at verse 1 again in chapter 4. How does he address and describe them? As his brothers, my joy and my crown. That's sweet language. He loves them. He wants to see them grow and flourish as individuals and as a body. The church is precious to Paul because it was precious to Jesus. So from prison, Paul, who would never end up seeing them again, writes a letter to his daughter church. Now, continuing our look at the background and context, what are the themes or the theme of Philippians? What do you usually, you can shout it out, what usually when you're reading Philippians or studying Philippians or hearing it preached, what is usually the focus? What's the theme? Contentment. Contentment. Gratitude. Gratitude. Unity. We're good. That's why we're here. I'm not hearing the one I usually always say. Joy. I always heard it was joy. You know what? Everyone you've said is correct. They're throughout the book. They They are all very prominent in there. And what I really didn't realize was unity is one of the prominent themes in the book of Philippians. Look at verse 27 in chapter 1, for example. If you're in the book, you can turn there to chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In the opening chapter, Paul is using this language. So Paul is writing with this in mind already early in his letter, addressing this problem of dissension. I want you to be of one mind. I want you to stand side by side. So, one major source, and maybe the major source of the conflict, is these two women. We can suppose that. What is the problem? Well, we don't know the source of their tension, But most would agree that it is some sort of personal or relational conflict. Why would we say that? Because if it had been doctrinal, Paul would have specifically addressed that. He does that in many other places, in many other books he wrote. Even in this particular letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, he has already warned them about the Judaizers who were teaching that circumcision was necessary. He didn't just make some very vague statement, watch out for the people coming in, they might be teaching you something wrong, be careful. No, he goes after it in detail, naming what the doctrinal issue is. He always brought correction for erroneous doctrine, and he always warned of false teachers. I think he would have done the same here had these ladies had an issue about doctrine. So that leads us to believe that this was a relational spat between these two women. These were two prominent women church members. Think back to what I read in Acts chapter 16, verse 13. The women that were gathered for prayer by the river, there's a good chance that these women were there among the praying women. 
Also, we know they had obviously helped Paul greatly by laboring alongside him. So they continued to have a great ministry in the church at Philippi, which was unheard of in religious circles of that day and in that culture. You just didn't have the women that were that important back then. And so these were good and faithful workers for the Lord. And it was an unusual thing for their day and age. So that's the part we want to be like. We want to be faithful workers. We want to have great gospel ministry, just as Paul commended them for. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. He is saying something positive about these women. Emulate them in their service, in their partnership with Paul in gospel ministry, and in their faithfulness to the Lord and the body of believers at Philippi. They were definitely on the right track in that way. But the part that we don't want to be, you have these two prominent women in the church and something has come between them. Did one of their personalities grate on the other? Did they disagree on the paint color for the new fellowship hall? Maybe Yodia didn't speak to Syntyche at church or vice versa and it just snowballed. Any of these things ring a bell? It could have been that and many more. But whatever the cause of their relational trouble, they did not take care of it. And it was festering into an ugly take sides division in the church. So Paul, thankfully, in prison, gets wind of this. And right away, led by the Holy Spirit, he addresses this. Which brings us to our next point, And that's Roman numeral three, conflict resolution. Look in verse two back in Philippians 4, what's interesting about the way he does it? He calls them each individually by name. Notice it's not grouped together. He doesn't say Yodia and Syntyche. Well, one of them might try to wiggle out of that if that's the case and put the emphasis on the other one. We're equally in it here, Yodia and Syntyche. Nope, Paul implores each of them, urges them, entreats them, appeals to them strongly I entreat you, Yodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche. And how are they getting this news? Well, some of Paul's epistles, like Timothy or Titus, are letters to those men individually, but most of Paul's letters are to churches. And we forget that when we're reading the books of the Bible. These were letters written to churches. So, Church at Levittown, I would stand up and I would read this letter to you. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there in a fairly small congregation and your name's called out and not in a good way, I might add. And don't believe there were pews, but if there were, they were looking for one to crawl under because everybody is hearing for the first reading of this letter, your name is called out and they all know it. They all know there's an issue. They know there's an issue anyway, but they know now that you are being called out on it and it is being addressed. So what is his instruction to them? What does he tell them? Be of the same mind. Right there. Be of the same mind. Again, we see the theme of unity in Philippians and see how important it is in other scripture as well. Back in chapter 2, verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's like, how many more times can he say this? He's saying it in multiple ways, and we get the picture. Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Which would mean, on the flip side of that, it is bad and unpleasant when brothers and sisters don't dwell in unity. But it is good and pleasant when they do. Ephesians 4.3, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we talked about being faithful as a church member, I brought that verse up. Be eager to do so. Not just do it because I got to, but be eager, desire to do it. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Unity of mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there, there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 15, 5 and 6, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is all over the place in the Bible, ladies, all over the place. The gospel is in no way individualistic. Here's a definition of that word. Characterized by individualism, independent, and self-reliant. Instead, our Christian lives are to be lived out in rich fellowship with one another, and we are to be united together in service to promote the gospel. Paul himself modeled this. He was definitely not a one-man show. He was not a Lone, Lone Ranger leader or Christian. He promoted and encouraged and modeled working together with others in unity for the sake of the gospel. And in verse 3, he calls for help in this situation. He didn't just say, hey, you ladies, you do it. You get this fixed. Do it. And then leave them to duke it out on their own. No, he calls his true companion or yoke fellow is the Greek word there meaning two oxen in a yoke pulling the same load. Someone he trusted who was most certainly of like mind with Paul. You get the, the picture there in your mind. You may not have ever, ever seen, been on a farm. You may not have ever seen a yoke of oxen. But you know the picture of them. You can't get loose from one another. When they're yoked together in that big thing, they're not separating. One's not saying, you know, I decided I'm going to go this way. I don't, I don't like you anymore. Nope, nope. They're going on ahead together. And that's what Paul is saying. I have this yoke fellow. I need you, my friend, to go and help them. We don't know who this person was. Some say it was Epaphroditus. Others say it might have been an elder in the church there in Philippi. It could also be interpreted as a proper name. Whoever this is, Paul loves this person and is of one mind with them, and he knows that they will do a great job at helping these two women work out their differences and point them back to the gospel to set their focus straight. Ladies, often reconciliation requires a third party. If you are in the throes of something and you feel like it's just going down uh, the wrong way or a dead-end road, 
you need strong spiritual help sometimes to get out of that. So sometimes bringing in someone else is a good thing. How precious you help these women who labored in the gospel with me. I love them. I love this church. I don't want to see this happening to destroy this church. I'm begging you, true friend, to go and give these ladies help. These ladies who labored with me in the gospel, they were on the right track at one point. He says all these encouraging, positive things about them. But they slipped off the path, losing their focus. They were dear Christian women and hard workers helped them. Now, Paul also mentions Clement by name. Who is he? Well, we don't know, but he labored hard with Paul. Others he doesn't name, but all of them are definitely believers. Their names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. See, these ladies were not apostates. They weren't someone that came into the church. They weren't people that came into the church that had everybody fooled because their true colors had not come out yet. And then all of a sudden, one day, these ladies really showed their true colors. No, these were women who are absolutely committed and faithful to God, genuine converts, and they had probably let a very petty issue get in between them and cause them to do not just some potentially serious harm to themselves, but to the body of believers at Philippi. And Paul says, enough, that's it, enough of this. So what in the world does this have to do with us? Well, I can only, you know, imagine that some of us need this exhortation in a room this size. Perhaps you are in conflict with another church member, or perhaps as a woman, if you are in ministry, you're trying to be like Paul, you're a leader in your women's ministry, and you're trying to help or desirous to help resolve a conflict between sisters in your church. You just need to be there to encourage others as they go through helping other people. So I think it is very applicable to us because we're all sinners and we're in churches with sinners. So let's look at application points. And there are 10 steps. They will not be long. Please take good notes. Number one, don't assume. You want to help bring about unity or be unified in a relationship? Don't assume. Let's talk about assumptions. We get into a lot of trouble when we assume things in all areas of life. So how does that look in this particular area? Well, she ignored me at church, and I know she saw me. Or I spoke to her, and she didn't speak back. Or I think she's mad at me because dot, 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 whatever. You fill in the blank. Well, you know what? You might be right. But in that case, if your assumption is true, you go to her, you work it out, you forgive, you be kind, and we'll get to that point in a minute. But often our assumption is not correct. I do that with my husband all the time. I'll say, you know, but I know you were thinking blah, blah, blah. How do you know what I was thinking? You know, maybe you've been married to me for a long time, but you don't know that. That is, you're totally assuming that. So we do that. We do that to other people. Let's be really careful not to make those assumptions. Either, you know, the woman you were speaking to didn't have her glasses, which reminds me, I've worn glasses for distance since college. Now I'm unfortunately wearing them for other reasons, too, as I get older. I need them for more than just distance. 
But do you know how many people I have insulted because they are far away and I cannot tell who they are from a distance? And I appear very rude. I did a walk yesterday around Bayside and I guess it was kind of dusky and cloudy and I was tired and I didn't have my glasses on. I'm thinking, I can't see anybody coming toward me. I hope I don't know them, you know. But now I've learned after, like I'll be walking around the church. I don't know if it's a neighbor that lives in the area or if it's a church member. And if I don't have my glasses on, I just start waving away. I've, I've waved to so many people driving by that have no idea who I am because I don't want to insult anybody. And so don't assume. They may be blind like I am, and they just need their glasses that day. Perhaps they have 30 other things on their mind, and you're trying to vie for their attention, and you cannot get it because they just cannot give that much more of their brain right at that moment. Or perhaps they've come into church after a really hard morning. They're a single mom, and they've got two kids hanging on them coming in, and they're doing the best they can. Don't assume anything about that person wait and see and go to them in love and say, hey, don't know if you heard me say this, but I just wanted blah, 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 or just go and encourage them. Don't assume bad things, ladies. The point is, it's so often just a simple misunderstanding or a lack of communication. You assume you're usually wrong. Number two, be humble. Proverbs 13.10 says, by pride comes nothing but strife. The majority of these relational issues, these factions, these misunderstandings, these disagreements usually stem from a heart of pride. Either we did not get it our way, or they don't see it our way, or we got pushed aside and ignored. Ladies, God hates pride, but humility and unity of the body pleases him. 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Imitate Christ who humbled himself even to death on a cross. Number three, confront appropriately and in a timely manner. Confront appropriately and in a timely manner. First part of that, it is biblical to confront a brother or sister. You need to do it in the right way, but it is biblical. Matthew 5, 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Matthew 18, 14 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So confront. Don't talk to others about it. Go directly to the source. Don't be a gossip. Don't talk through other people. Now, I'm not talking about if you're to the stage where you need a third party to come in and help and mediate. That is sometimes necessary. But I'm just saying when this thing is beginning and it's starting to grow and fester, don't talk through other people or make them your mouthpiece. That's kind of like you're in middle school, and it's unbiblical. So just go directly to the source. Go directly to that person and speak face-to-face. Yes, it can be very hard and uncomfortable. That's what you're thinking in your mind, and that's your question. And my answer is, yes, it is uncomfortable, and it's hard. But ladies, it's biblical, and it makes it so much better when we do it God's way. And the second part of that, do it in a timely manner. Here's what I mean by that. 
Although you need to take care of issues quickly so that they don't fester into something far worse, please pick your time carefully. We have a you know half hour or so, 20 minutes, because Ed preaches a long time, between the first service and the second for coffee and donuts and stuff. And you see people, and it's nice. Don't pick that time when someone's literally got five minutes before they go teach children's church to run up to them and bare your soul and ask what's wrong with them and why have they been treating you like this. Pick a better time for that when you have a little more time, when they're not distracted, when other people aren't around. But go to the person, say something. You know what? If it turns out to be nothing, you're going to know it and you'll have it all cleared up. But if it is true, then do the next thing on our list, which is number four, and that is forgive. Be so quick to forgive. If you are truly a child of God, you are born again, redeemed, you're saved, you have no right to hold a grudge or to be bitter towards someone. The gospel, ladies, preach the gospel to yourself. When you realize what you have been forgiven of and how you have offended a holy God, you should be very quick to forgive and make things right with other people. Turn to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. I want you to look at this with your own eyes. It's a passage with which you are probably very familiar, but I never want us to forget the reason that we are to forgive and what should motivate us to forgive. Look at it with your own eyes, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Doesn't stop there. There's no period there. Forgiving one another. But if there was, it would be enough. But God didn't just give us just enough. He gave us everything we need for motivation to do that. And what's the next phrase? As God in Christ forgave you. Why are you to forgive? Why am I to forgive? Because I've been forgiven very much. The gospel, ladies. Preach it to yourself all the time. Forgive because you have been forgiven much. Number five, can you perhaps overlook? And now you say you are being extremely wishy-washy. You just told me to go confront and, and get them in a timely manner and be appropriate, but to say something, and now you're saying overlook it. Look. Here's the point. Some folks just feel very comfortable and very compelled to say something all the time. Maybe it just does not need that. Sometimes we make a big deal out of something that we should really let go. Maybe you're being too sensitive about something. Is this really that serious? How about thinking of the other person? You know, it's not really in character for her to act like that. I remember that she had a fender bender this week or... I heard she had a root canal or whatever. I, you know, something that maybe just makes her a little bit on edge and out of character for her. Maybe she just failed a test. She's not normally that way, so I can overlook it. This is definitely not a pattern in this person's life. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers what? A multitude of sins. We want to be loving and sometimes Overlooking an incident is much more loving because it covers a multitude of sins. So you need discernment. Which way do I go? What do I do? And I think you have to ask yourself those questions as you ponder that. Now, as we um, finish out our 10 steps to unity, I want to
take you back to Philippians 4 to look at what I think is so interesting for these next few. Some very familiar verses take on a whole new slant when taken in context. And I just was so amazed by this. So look at verses 4 through 9 back in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Stick with me here. In context, immediately following verses 1 through 3 about Yodia and Syntyche with no change of thought or subject, you want a solution to your problem? Number six, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Now, we use this verse. I use it all the time. I've used it twice this week already to say to somebody, we must rejoice in all situations. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. It's okay because other scripture backs that up. We know in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. So we're not, if we use these verses to tell somebody just to rejoice in some situation, we're not wrong I just want you to see, I don't want you to miss the context that it's given in. It's given as a solution for the discord. If you want unity and harmony and peace with one another, rejoice. I love how Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said about this. I'm glad that we do not know what the quarrel was about. I am usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Isn't that nice? That's so well said. Number seven, be known for your gentle disposition. Reasonableness. Are you viewed as a reasonable person or unreasonable? Are you gentle? Let it be known to all. How are you known to react or deal with people? When situations arise and you're having to deal with them, what's your disposition in that? Maybe your reaction to something is the start or the cause of an issue. So ladies, let's strive to be known for our gentleness and not our fiery tempers or our thin skin or our argumentativeness. Number eight, don't worry. The command, do not be anxious about anything. Again, taken in context, how interesting is that? I use this all the time for other things, which is great. We shouldn't be anxious. We should do all these things that follow, and God will take anxiety away. I believe that. But given here in the context of disunity in the church, he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. But do what? Number nine, pray. Do you want the peace of God to overtake the strife and discord you feel with that Christian brother or sister? the uneasiness, the anger that is welled up in your heart, then pray, dear sister, pray. 
And number 10, think well. Fill your mind with good things. Again, we use verse 8 for so many situations in our own lives or when we're counseling others. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here it is given as a part of a prescription for unity to keep the peace in the body of Christ. Think about it. Think. Think about it. When you think. It's so easy to think the worst of someone. I do that. I'm just, my mind always goes there. I don't tend to think the best of someone. I think the worst of someone. Obey verse 8 instead. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. You get it. Where do you see any room for strife in that list? If we're thinking on those things, that's going to be a really great solution for us dealing with disunity, for us keeping unity in the church. Let me ask us all something. Think about this. If one sentence was forever engraved in the pages of Scripture about you, what would it say? Would, what would the one phrase or characteristic written about you be? What would God say that would be engraved forever in his word? Would it be God-honoring or would it be just plain embarrassing? And although we trust that everything was worked out between Yodia and Syntyche, we don't know for sure. We would, we would want to hope that it was. We would hope that with Paul's plea and his true companion's help, indeed these ladies got everything worked out and the church was at peace again. That is probably what happened, although it's not said. But one thing is certain. Unfortunately for Yodia and Syntyche, this is how they will be remembered forever and ever and ever. So let's learn from their bad example and let's strive for unity with the brethren. And let's emulate their good example and be faithful laborers for our Lord. Amen. Father, help us now to be those people. And if this has struck a chord with anybody, I pray that you would convict them. You would lead them in discernment and wisdom and grace to talk to people, if necessary, to help promote unity among the brethren at their churches, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.